This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, church. Hey, let me just say this so y'all hear it from me. It is truly a joy to see you this morning. I mean, sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes just Sunday to Sunday is just too long. And, and, and I, just, I just can't wait. Sunday mornings cannot get here fast enough for me because we get to gather as God's people and declare his glory over and over again. Amen? Amen. Hey, so today, um, we're just super glad you're here. If you're new with us, you'll hear more about some next steps for you, just an invitation for you at the end of the service. Uh, if you're joining us online, we're super glad you're with us online as part of our family also. Hey, today, we're going to talk about a guy named Peter. And a lot of you, you know who Peter is. Like Peter, Peter the apostle, one of Jesus' 12 apostles. Peter, the guy that was more brash and bold than most of the apostles. Peter, who always leaped before he looked. Peter, right? Peter, the guy that jumped over the edge of the boat and walked on water. Peter, who, who uh, when Jesus asked, hey, who do you say that I am? Peter stepping to the front and saying, oh, I'll tell you who you are. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the, you're the son of the living God. And then, then just a week later, Peter, like, he's like, Jesus who? Right? Denied even knowing Jesus. This is Peter then on the day of the resurrection. He ran to the empty tomb because the women said it was empty. But still unbelieving Peter. Then Peter, who was restored by Jesus, and then Peter, about a month later, who stood up in the city of Jerusalem and preached so beautifully and so powerfully and so compellingly that 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus in that one day. Peter, that's, that's, that's who Peter is. And let me just say this, publicly and boldly, if God can use Peter to change lives, come on. He can use you to change lives. Peter was Peter, and, and none of us are any better or worse than Peter. So the day that Peter stood up so boldly and preached so powerfully, and all those people, they, they, they gave their lives to Jesus. That day, that happened in a Jewish festival uh, called uh, Pentecost. Now, we kind of stole that word from, from the, the Jewish folks. We, we stole it, and we just made it that one day, which you celebrate next Sunday, uh, which can be just so much fun. I can't wait till next Sunday. But we stole it. We call it Pentecost. That's just the one day for us. And it's the day that traditionally the church looks back on and says, hey, that's the day that God launched and God ignited his church. And man, and it went like wildfire. I mean, it, it grew and it got traction and attraction and all these people were giving their lives to Jesus as the church just, just began taking over. But it also attracted the attention of the Jewish leaders. Like they're like, wait a minute now, we just killed your leader. The movement should have died with him. But it didn't. It got bigger and bolder and stronger. They're like, we, we don't want this to happen. And so one of their people, he wasn't one of the leader leaders yet, but he was a rising star among the Jewish people. His name was Saul. When Saul, when Saul saw that the, the leader leaders, like the higher ups, they wanted the, these people called the people of the way, these followers of Jesus, but they wanted them out of the way. Saul's like, I'm your man. Send me. Like, this is going to build my reputation. I'm going to have such a, a, a good reputation after this. And he got letters from the leaders of the Jewish people to begin persecuting the followers of Jesus. 
And I don't mean like persecution, like you and I talk about persecution. Yeah, people, people call me names because I'm a follower of Jesus, right? Right? Well, that's, yeah, that's big persecution. Um, you know, we're not talking persecution like, oh, we're going to start a smear campaign about you. We're going to start, you know, treating you differently now. We're talking persecution. Saul went around and he, he took people like out of their living rooms, Men and women and children, he threw them in prison and he had them put to death. Persecution. So Saul's persecuting and all this persecution broke out against the followers of Jesus. And, uh, and when, when it was getting so strong that the people, except for the apostles, all these followers of Jesus, thousands and thousands of them, they left Jerusalem to get out of Saul's grasp. And they spread out all over the known world. They went to other towns and other nations. And then this happened. Saul met Jesus, like face to face, the risen Jesus. And it changed his life. And he goes from like persecuting the church to the world's greatest missionary, the world's greatest church planter. And he changed his name to Paul. And when that happened, the persecution settled down. And for the first time then in a while, these followers of Jesus, they could live in somewhat peaceful times. And so picture this. All over the known world now are these thousands and thousands of Jesus followers when they scattered from Jerusalem. Now they're in all these towns, all these villages, all these other nations out there positioned and poised to tell the world about Jesus God's pretty brilliant, right? So he's all these people scattered all over the known world. And add, add to that fact that, you know, now there's Roman peace. And you remember Roman peace, right? Studying in history class, remember Pax Romana, Roman peace? That's, that was this, this time frame. And, and add to that the fact that the Romans built all these roads. Remember, all roads lead to Rome, right? That was real. They had this network of roads all over their entire empire. So not only did, did these followers of Jesus live in a peaceful time in the empire, they could travel to tell more and more people about Jesus. And so Peter, who stayed in Jerusalem during persecution, said, well, now that everything's kind of peaceful, I'm going to travel around. I'm going to tell some people about Jesus. So today, we're going to join Peter in some of his travels. And I figured, you know, it's getting nice outside, right? It's almost summertime. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if you and I, we take a little trip today up the Mediterranean coastline. Would that be okay? Yeah, I know. I wish we were like really like, let's go load up on the plane. We've got our own plane out back. You know, that's not, that's not real. But let's, let's go uh, with Peter and let's kind of follow where Peter's going to travel. Because he started traveling around the country sharing the gospel or the good news about Jesus. And he, he started by going to the city called Lydda. L-Y-D-D-A. Lydda. It's 25 miles uh, northwest of Jerusalem. And when he got there, he discovered this man who'd been paralyzed and bedridden for eight years. Like the whole town knew him. Everybody knew about his condition for eight years. And Peter goes there. You know what Peter did? Peter healed him in the name of Jesus. And this guy, he gets up. He's not paralyzed, not bedridden. And everybody heard, like all the news feeds are buzzing about it, right? Everybody's beeping their phones. Like, whoa, wow, did you see this? And people are so like, this is, this is real power. 
about the name of Jesus. Tell me more about Jesus and all these people around Lydda and the plain of Sharon. That's what the area around it was called. All these people gave their lives to Jesus because Peter did this miracle by healing this man. So, so Peter's telling, telling people about Jesus. He's right there in Lydda. Meanwhile, in the next town over, uh, there's a town called Joppa, J-O-P-P-A. It's just about 10, mile, 10 more miles northwest. Now they're at the coast. Joppa was a beautiful little seaside town. And over in Joppa, there were some followers of Jesus. And there's one woman who, who was just known for taking care of people in the name of Jesus. She would make them things, take care of them. And she passed away. And all these people were like, oh my gosh, that is such a bad thing that she passed away. So why don't we go down, let's go down to, to uh, Little where Peter is, and let's get Peter to come back and see what he can do. Okay, just think of, let that sink in for a moment. Because that's faith, right? She's already dead. She's not sick. She's not paralyzed. She's laid out in a room, in a house, ready for burial. Like, hey, before we, before we go to that last step, what if we, because news about Peter spread, Peter's only 10 miles away. Let's go get him. Let's bring him up here and ask him to do something. That's faith, right? And so, so they go down, and they go down, and they, hey, hey, Peter, here's what happened. She took care of so many people. She just loved Jesus so much. She loves the Lord. Will you come back with us? And they're begging him, and Peter's like, yeah, let's go. And they go the whole way back up to, to Joppa, right along the coast, and Peter goes into the room where she was laid out for burial. He prays over her, and guess what happened? No, seriously, guess what happened? Yeah, you're scared. I, I want to say she came back to life, but I don't want to sound stupid. She came back to life. When did you stop believing that God could do miracles? Come on. Yeah, she came back to life. And you're like, oh, my gosh. Everybody around is like, oh, that's, that's power, right? That is power. And all these more and more people giving their lives to Jesus. Because Peter's just out there in the name of Jesus, telling people the good news of Jesus. This, this was just uh, you know, what Peter was doing. And they said, Peter, will you stay in town in Joppa with us for a while? And I think Peter's like, let me see. There's the Mediterranean Sea. Like, the warm breeze blowing off. If y'all give me a place to stay, I'm in for as long as you want me. And he stayed there in Joppa for at least for a while. Now, travel straight up the coast, up the Mediterranean coast. There's another city called Caesarea. So Joppa down here on the coast, Joppa is a Jewish city, seaside city. Up the coast is Caesarea. Caesarea is a Roman seaside city. Now it's still in Roman, it's still in Jewish territory, but it's a Roman, it's a Roman town. It's named Caesarea, like after Caesar. That's pretty, you know, you know that, right? So, so there's Caesarea, and it was actually built by the, the king of the Jews. His name was Herod the Great. Now, you may recognize that name. Some of you will, because Herod the Great was the king of the Jews when Jesus was born. And when Herod the Great, king of the Jews, heard that over in Bethlehem, the king of the Jews was born, he's like, whoa, wait a minute, we already have a king of the Jews, and it's me, right? And I don't want any other one trying to get my throne. And so he sent his soldiers, armed guards, over to Bethlehem to kill all the baby boys who were two years old or younger 
because he wanted to kill this new baby king of the Jews who was Jesus. So that's Herod the Great. So suffice it to say, Herod the Great was not great because of his morals. He was great because he built stuff. Like he was, he was a visionary. And he had at his disposal the best architects and the best builders in the world. They were Jewish, but they trumped even the best of the Roman architects and Roman builders. And so he built stuff. So when he was king, he took over this, this port city, or this seaside city. It was a different name back before he took it over. And he rebuilt it, and he named it Caesarea. And he, and he built a port there, there a man-made port, a man-made harbor there. It was the largest harbor then in the world and the most prominent harbor in the Roman Empire. He built all those things. And he named both the city and the port or the harbor after his benefactor, Caesar Augustus. He wouldn't have been a king of the Jews if he wasn't backed by Caesar. So he named, named the city and the port after them. But he also built some other stuff in Caesarea. He built a, he built a hippodrome. Right? Who doesn't want one of those in your town? Let, let me help you with that. Think NASCAR with chariots. Like it was a racetrack for chariots and horses, you know, born chariots. He, he built that. He built an outdoor amphitheater that sat 4,000 people. Now, let me give you an idea of that size. It was, it was almost the same size, just a little bit smaller than the Benedum and Heinz Hall put together. He built that. He was Herod the Great because of the great things that he built. And Caesarea was an amazing, amazing place. It was a major city in the Roman Empire, and both Romans and Jews lived in Caesarea. But there was one Jew in particular that we're going to look at today and to jump into his story today. His name was Cornelius. He was a Roman military leader. Let me read to you what we know about Cornelius. Ready? Yes, no. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, we'll say yes. So here's what Luke tells. Now, Luke wrote this. Luke was not an apostle, but he lived in that same time frame, and he, he explored and took notes on everything. He interviewed everybody. He was like down to the nth degree, um, really good at doing what he did, and he wrote this for us. He said, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. The Italian regiment. Now, what that was, was a part of the Roman army, the Roman military. But they, they designated it specifically as the Roman uh, regiment, because it, meaning it was not made up of, of other like, conscripted soldiers from other parts of the empire that Rome had conquered. They took men from those other areas and made them into their army. These were Roman Roman soldiers. They're straight from Rome. They're the real deal Roman soldiers. And, and uh, Cornelius, he is a centurion with these uh, Roman soldiers, which means he was over at least 80 men. You're like, wait a minute, centurion, century, 100. Yeah, we think of that as 100, but back in that culture, it was at least 80 men. Could have been many, many, many more, but at least 80 men. But centurions, they weren't like other Roman military leaders. See, some Roman military leaders, they got their position and their rank because they had really important mommy and daddies, right? Or because they had the right social connections. They married into the right families. But centurions... They earned their stripes. 
They, they were fiends in battle. They were men who proved their mettle and proved their worth in the middle of war. And so, they, so the Romans took their very best soldiers and used them to make other really great soldiers. So Cornelius was in charge of at least 80 men. He's in charge of their welfare, their well-being, their training, their discipline, and he was a disciplinarian. So he, this is a man who commanded a lot of respect from everybody around him. But Cornelius, Cornelius was different from most other Roman commanders. Here's why. Let's keep reading. Cornelius and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. So, a picture of this. He's a Roman He's been raised Roman like from day one. Being raised as a Roman, Cornelius' whole belief system, his whole worldview will be based on the Roman pantheon. This whole list of Roman gods like Jupiter, Neptune, Mars, Venus, all these gods and goddesses. But at some point in Cornelius' life, he's exposed to the God of the Jews. The one true God. It's like he said, yeah, I've got a whole bunch of 30 gods and goddesses. What's one more? He didn't do that. He said, I'm giving up all of these to worship the one. That's Cornelius. And that's why he's described as God-fearing. See, in the, in the Jewish world, in Jewish mindset, there were th- only three types of people in the world. The Jews... And the Jews were for the Jews, right? The Jews, that's the one people that God really loved, right? Then everybody else were called, they were called Gentiles. They were just different people from other nations. Every other nation, every other person group, those were all Gentiles. But sometimes, some Gentiles made the leap to begin to worship the God of the Jews. They never became fully Jewish, so the Jews were like, well, you're not us, but you're not them any, anymore either. You're something in the middle. And the phrase they used was they were God-fearers, God-fearing. So that's kind of like a title the Jews gave to Cornelius. He, was, he and his whole family were devout and God-fearing. Like game recognizes game, right? Hey, we see you worshiping the same God we worship, so we recognize that. So here's what happened. Let's keep reading. One day at about three in the afternoon... Cornelius had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. Who wouldn't, right? If that happened to you or me, like, I've got a situation here. I think it's code brown. Yeah, code brown. Yeah, this is scary. Like, he, he stares at him in fear. What is it, Lord? Cornelius asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the, to the to poor have come up as a memorial offering. Like God has noticed this. God has taken, God has remembered this. Come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. So before you start dreaming about the house by the sea, let's just make note of something. It's a good thing the angel differentiated, differentiated the two Simons, right? You know, there's Simon, who's called Peter. There's Simon, 
the tanner whose house Simon the Peter is staying at. I'm glad he differentiated those because if these men go down to Joppa, they say, hey, we need Simon, and they take the wrong Simon, the wrong Simon is going to show up with his tools ready to make leather, right? And that's not what God had in mind, right? So, so thankfully, the angel differentiates that them. When the angel who spoke to, to Cornelius had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. Now, meanwhile, down south, down in Joppa, along the coast, God was doing something amazing. Something super cool was happening. Peter, Simon Peter, was up on the roof of Simon the Tanner's house where he was staying, right by the sea, and he was praying. Back then, the roofs were flat, and they were often used as a patio or, or a deck, right? And they could just go up there for a meal or for devotions, for prayer time. So Peter's up there praying. And I can imagine Peter like standing on the edge of that, that roof, which is right by the sea, looking down at the Mediterranean Sea, feeling the breeze coming off of him. He probably turns to face Jerusalem. It's the other way. Gets down on his knees. He's praying. And while he's praying, something happened. God gave him a vision. So, so God gave Cornelius a vision up in Caesarea. Now down in Joppa, God gives Peter a vision. You see God doing something here? God gives him a vision. And in this vision, here's what happened. This huge sheet, like held by all four corners, this huge sheet was lowered down from heaven. And when it opened up, Peter looked at it and it was full of animals, like four-footed animals, birds, reptiles. And God spoke God spoke to Peter and said, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, no way. No way, God. I have never eaten anything unclean. See, the Jews, they had really strict dietary laws. Like, Peter was not eating ham on Easter, right? Like all of us do. They had really strict dietary laws. And this, this sheet obviously had unclean animals in it. And Peter's like, no way, God. I've never eaten anything unclean. But God said to him, Peter, don't call unclean what I am declaring to be clean. See, God was starting something, something new. Listen, just follow me on this. Try to connect the dots. It'll make sense in a moment. When, when God showed Peter all the animals in this sheet, in this vision, that wasn't Jewish food. Like God didn't make him and say, oh, I sent the wrong items down to him. God was showing something to Peter, something different. He was using a, this vision to teach Peter something. This, was, this wasn't Jewish food. Guess whose food it was? It was Gentile food. The Gentiles ate all these animals. And so Peter's thinking through the lens of his Jewish segregation saying, oh, I could never eat that. That's unclean. And God says, wait a minute. Don't, don't say something's unclean when I'm declaring it to be clean. See, this was Gentile food, but, but here's what God was teaching him. God isn't just interested in Gentile food. He's interested in Gentile people. He's interested in Gentile people. Don't call unclean what I have called clean. God's saying what you Jews have labeled as unclean and unfit and impure and unworthy, I'm telling you, they're clean. And this, this wasn't really new. It felt new to Peter. And it, it, here, here's something I find this so, so interesting. By the time this vision happened, scholars tell us it had been seven to ten years. It was seven to ten years after the resurrection. Seven to ten years after Jesus gave his final commands to his followers. 
Do you remember what the, what the command was? This is why this was not new. Remember this command when Jesus stood with his followers and he said this. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And they're all like, Jerusalem. Yeah, okay, Jerusalem, um, hometown in my homeland with my homies. And so that feels pretty comfortable for me. I can do that. Check, Jerusalem, where else, Jesus? In all Judea, Judea. Okay, Judea, that's not my hometown, but that's my nation. That's a Jewish land. So that's still good. Still my homeland with my home people, people just like us, people like me. Check. I can do that. Where else, Jesus? Oh, in Samaria. Oh, Samaria, right? Uh, they're not really Jewish. They used to be Jewish a long time ago. We share some common ancestry. Uh, they polluted the bloodline, but they're close enough, I guess. Okay, Jesus, Samaria, check. Where else, Jesus? To the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. Jesus, no, Jesus, no, you don't know what you're saying. Do you know who that includes? Jesus, that includes Gentiles. That means everybody else, like everyone, everywhere, every day. They're like, ah, Jesus, that's, that's too much to ask. But that, that was the ask. Jesus, Jesus commanded them, hey, go to the Gentiles. And they're like, wait a minute, Jesus, they're so different. They're not like us. They don't live like us. You know, they don't eat like us. They don't smell like us. They don't worship like us. They don't pray like us. They don't vote like us. Jesus, we can't go to those people. They're not, they're not us or even similar to us. But that was the command that Jesus gave to his followers 10 years before he gave Peter this vision. If I'm God, I'm thinking, what's taking you so long? Man, I gave it to you 10 years ago. Now God's calling their hand. He says, Peter... I, I declared them clean a long time ago. Why are you waiting so long? Here's why they were waiting so long. They were so caught up in following church rules and church traditions that they ignored God's command for 10 years. So God called them out on it. He says, don't call unclean, Peter, what I have called clean. See, the, the Jews considered the Gentiles so unclean that no Jew could talk to, visit with, eat with, marry, uh, work with any Gentile. If you did, then you were unclean too and you were cast out also. For the Jews, it was isolate and ignore. Isolate and ignore until now. God gave the exact same vision to Peter three times and each time he said, don't call unclean what I have declared to be clean. And then the vision was over. And Peter's sitting like, oh my gosh, what just happened? What was that? Because remember, it wasn't real. It was, it was a vision. He's like, what does this mean? And while he's trying to figure it out, guess who showed up at the, at the gate at the front door? Three people from, from Caesarea, a soldier and two servants. And they get to the front gate and they holler in, we're here to find Simon. And if I'm Peter, I'm thinking, which one? I hope the tanner. <laughs> right? Be, be, because because when, when you've got a Roman soldier... He's dressed like a Roman soldier, and, and he has two servants with him, and he comes from the command of a Roman military leader from a Roman town. You're like, the roof's great. I'll just stay up here and pretend I'm not at home, right? But God spoke to Peter and said, don't be afraid of them, because I sent them to you. 
I'm calling you out on this, Peter. I told you 10 years ago to go to the Gentiles. Now get moving. Get down there and talk to them. So he goes down. He talks to them. He, they, they tell the whole story. He's okay. Come in the house. They must have had supper. They slept overnight because the next day they left. And they begin the next day to head the whole way up to Caesarea. It's like 33-ish miles up straight up the coast. It's about 15 hours to walk it. A little bit longer than they wanted to do in one day. So they broke them to two days, and they arrived the following day. Now, while they're traveling, the whole time they're traveling, Cornelius is up there in Caesarea, like waiting for them to get there. I, I picture Cornelius like this. I think he's like, okay, I sent, the, I sent the guys out there on this day. It'll take them, let's see, about a day and a half to get there. They probably won't start to the next morning, then a day and a half back. So they'll probably be here by... Thursday, but I think he started looking for them Wednesday. He's so excited. He's, he's like, he's pacing his living room. He's looking out the window. Are they here yet? Are they here yet? Like you do, right? When, when your family's coming from in for a holiday or coming over for a visit, you're like, are they here yet? Are they here yet? And Cornelius is so excited. He's at his house waiting for them, but he's not alone because he's so excited. He's gathered in his whole family and all these friends. He's like filled the house with like a surprise party and he's got all these people there and finally Peter and his companions and the guys who went to get him show up and when, when they showed up Cornelius runs out of the house here's this high ranking well respected in charge Roman military leader in charge of soldiers who every day keep putting the Jews in their proper place and Cornelius runs out and he gets on the ground on his knees in front of Peter the Jew. What a moment. What a scene. And, and Peter says, dude, get up because you know I'm just a guy like you. And, and they begin to have a little bit of a, a conversation about, about you know, how, why he was there. And, and Cornelius invites him into the house. But this was a moment. I want you to think about this, this moment. Like Peter, he had lots of moments. But this one, this is like one of the moments of Peter's life because Peter has never crossed the threshold into the home of a Gentile. Never. And he's standing there on the edge and you've been there, right? I mean, how close have you been? How close have you been? You're in a conversation with somebody and you know they need Jesus and you're right on the threshold. You're on the edge. You're, gonna, you're about to tell them about Jesus, right? But at the last second, you shy away. Or you're right there. You're on the very edge. You're talking to your friend or your family member or your neighbor. And they're going through a hard time. And you're listening as they tell you. And you're about to say the words, well, you should come with, to me, with, with me to my church. Because we talk about those things. And you're right about to say it. But at the last second, you're like, ah. Because you know, the moment you cross that line, there's no going back. Peter standing right, literally and figuratively on the threshold. Like, what happens if I do this? What happens if I, I've, I've never set foot in a Gentile's home before. And if I do, they're going to hear about it back home in Jerusalem because it's only 55 miles away. News like this travels fast. And what, what are they going to think? What, about, what, about, what are they all going to think about me if I do this? And what are they going to do to me if I do this? They're going to disbar me? Will I be kicked out of the all-apostles club? I don't know, you know. But Peter knows that God is doing something. 
So he sucks in his breath, straightens himself up, and, and, he, and he makes that step. L- l- listen to this. Listen to this. While talking with Cornelius, Peter went inside. Don't let those two little words pass by. Peter went inside, and he found a large gathering of people because Cornelius had all his family and friends there, right? He found uh, this large gathering of people, and Peter said to them, you are all well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Like, Peter was aware of what all this was about to mean for him. And it's almost like he had to say it out loud because it, it, it was going to come out in some way. He had to get it out. But he also knew that God was doing something amazing. He kept talking and he said, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Like, he learned his lesson from the rooftop. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Like, why am I here? Why did you send men to get me? And so Cornelius explained to Peter the whole vision, telling, telling him to go send for Peter. And then Cornelius said this. This is great. Listen to this. He said, so now we're all here. Like, Peter's like, yeah, I can see like half the town's here in your house, right? So now we're all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. It's a little bit of an awkward moment, right? I mean, if, if, if you're reading this like you just read the news or a news feed, you'll blow right past this. But take time to just sit and think about this for a moment. They're like, hey, so Peter, we're glad you're here. So start talking. Just tell us everything you know. Have you ever been in an awkward situation like that? Where you walk in to a room full of people and you're happy just being like the edge of the room full of people, but someone recognizes you and they pull you up front, they put a microphone in your face. Hey, hey, we're so glad you're here. Hey, Heather, just tell us everything you know. That's an awkward moment. That's what Peter was doing. But listen to how cool this actually is. Listen to how cool this actually is. Think about it. It's like they're just sitting there ready, hungry to hear what Peter has to say. I mean, Peter's standing here in a Gentile's house, surrounded by a bunch of Gentiles asking to hear the word of God. They say, tell us, tell us what the Lord commanded you. Does that ring a bell? Does that sound familiar? Let me, let me show you why it sounds familiar to me. Because it's what Jesus told his followers to do. Like in those very words, one of the last times Jesus was with his followers before ascending to heaven, he said this. Some of you will remember this. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have what? Commanded you. And then Jesus said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This couldn't be teed up any better for Peter. Disciples of all nations, uh, these are all Gentiles, check on that one. Um, Teach them everything that that, that Jesus commanded me. They're begging for it. They're, They're ready for it. So it raises the question, why did Peter wait so long? Why did Peter delay for 10 years? 
Like, when did Peter forget all the great things that Jesus did? When did Peter forget the miracles and the healings that Jesus performed as if God isn't strong enough or powerful enough to save Gentiles like he saves Jews? When did Peter miss that? When, when did Peter ever decide that, that God was not sufficient enough for this? God was doing something in this moment, and all of a sudden, something in Peter clicked. Here's what happened. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him, the one who's in awe of God, the one who's like reverent, rev, given reverence to God and does what is right. You know the message, Peter said to them. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news. There's that word we learned last week. Remember the Greek word for good news? Gospel, but it comes from the Greek. Euangelion. Forget it, you can go back and listen later. Euangelion, right? Euangelion, you know, the prefix you, uh, you meaning good, and gelion meaning message or news. Peter says, hey, you, you know, you know. The, the, the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Not just Lord of the Jews. He's Lord of all. And when he says peace, he's not talking like world peace, right? He's not talking about, hey, nations, stop warring, to have peace with each other. That can come out of this peace. But he's talking about peace with God. Hey, when Jesus came, he brought peace with peace between you and God. And think about, think about what that means. Peace with your past. Wouldn't that be nice? Peace in your present. Wouldn't that be great? How about all the fear you have of the future? And Jesus says, you don't have to. I leave you my peace. The peace of the world cannot give. It's a whole different level of peace, and it's, it's in me for you. Can you imagine all of your sin, all your shame, all your guilt, all your fear, all your worry, all your anxiety, all those things that keep you up at night or wake you up at night or, or don't you, you go to sleep at night that you worry about through the day? Jesus says, hey, I'll take all that from you. That's a pretty good deal. That's why it's called good news. Jesus said, my peace. And Peter re just repeats this peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. That's good news. And Peter began to share this gospel of Jesus with them. And all that was great. Way to go, like, way to go, Peter. But something even better happens. Listen to this. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, meaning the Jews among them, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues, just means other languages, and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. So please understand this. Since the earliest, earliest days of the church, baptism, baptism was something that believers did. When someone said, I give my life to Jesus, I'm a follower now of Jesus, they baptized. It was an outward sign of the inward work that God was doing in those people's or that person's life. It, was, it didn't make them saved. 
It was like the outward celebration that they were saved. It was like, hey, the, the, you know, putting on a team uniform doesn't make you part of the team, but when you're part of the team, then you put on the team uniform. Baptism was putting on the colors of the team. And so he said, what, what can stop them from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just like we have. So he ordered they be baptized in the name of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. And after this event, the world began to explode. Gentiles started coming to Jesus. More and more Gentiles giving their lives to Jesus. And all it took was one person willing to step up and stand out, to be willing to break through the boundaries of their culture that had been set and their religion that had been set and just do what God said. That's what Peter did. He, Peter, Peter was willing to step out of his comfort zone, out of the segregation and separation that his Jewish culture had set for so long. So no longer, no longer was it was isolate and ignore, now it became participate and invite. And it changed the world. He, he began to share the gospel. He was one life that was changed by Jesus that changed lives for Jesus. And the world would never be the same. Now, here's what I want you to notice about all of this. About this if you remember nothing else, if you don't remember the backstories and, and the, the cool stuff God did, just, just remember this thing. Because I know, listen, I know what we're talking about doing isn't easy. Like, we don't have the privilege of just sit, coming here, sitting here, listening, going home and thinking, right? The church isn't built, the kingdom isn't built by thinkers, it's, it's, it's built by doers. We're being challenged, in fact, we're being commanded by Jesus to go out and do this, not just remember this. So we're supposed to go out there to do this, to tell people the good news of Jesus. But I get it, I know it's hard, and it's scary. It's easy to stand up here and preach it, but I'm not very good at it either out there, you know, on most days. So this is going to help you. This is going to help me. What I'm about to show you next. I, I want you to, to, to make sure you don't, don't miss this. Listen, God wasn't just working in this event. God was working in front of this event. And here's what that means. We're going to talk about that more. We're going to dig into that more next week. But here's what that means for right now today. God put Peter in Joppa. God did a miracle by giving a vision to Cornelius way up in Caesarea. Then he, then he gave Peter a vision down here. Then he sent people to get him, and they escorted him back, a, an armed Roman guard to get him back up there. And then while he was there, you know, he, he, he stepped into the house, began telling what he knew. That's all he's doing. Let me just tell you what I know about Jesus. And then all of a sudden, God just took over. And you think about that whole scenario. The bottom line is, all Peter did was show up. He just showed up, and God did the work. In fact, God was working ahead so Peter could just show up. And maybe that's what you and I need to do or start doing. Just be willing to show up. Instead of worrying about what to say or how people are going to receive it, what if we just showed up in their lives? What, 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 if, we just, what if we just showed up in their lives trusting that he put you there for a reason, on purpose, with a purpose? What if you just showed up at work or showed up at home or showed up at school or showed up at Walmart trusting that God was already working ahead of you to change lives? Uh, readying people to hear the good news. Listen, you may not believe this, but people around you are begging for the good news of Jesus. 
They don't know it's called that. But what we have to offer, they are desperate for. They are so hungry for it. And you and I are like at a threshold thinking, I don't know. Because once I cross that line, there's no going back. We'll cross the line and don't go back. Start sharing the good news of Jesus. Because here's, here's the reality. Here's the reality. Listen. God works ahead of you to change the lives around you. You can trust him in this. When did you stop believing in how powerful God is? That you'd be scared to do that. When, when did you stop believing that he makes a habit of, of doing the impossible? And I'm speaking to you, but also to me, okay? Please, please no, I'm not putting you down. I'm, I'm in this with you. That somehow, when you or I think about talking to people about Jesus, when do we ever begin to think that he'd have us do that alone? Part of Jesus' promise was, remember, I'll be with you always while you're doing this. When did we ever begin to believe that God was insufficient? That he wasn't able? Well, I, I, I can't go share Jesus with other people because you know who they are. Yeah, I do, but so does God. <laughs> and God's more powerful than they are. So let me just encourage you to begin to, to realize and to trust in the fact that God is in front of you at work because he's got, he's got people around you. He wants you to change their lives. What we're going to do right now is we're going to sing one more song. And while we sing this song, this is, a, this is a great song for you to sit in and soak in, but really a good song for you to take to heart. And maybe instead of just standing, I believe some of you need to start kneeling. And some of you need to come up to this altar. And you need to say, God, what we're singing right now, this is my prayer. When did, I, when did I ever believe that you weren't, when did I stop believing that you were powerful enough to use me to tell other people about you? God, I'm willing to show up in people's lives and let God do the showing off in their lives. So maybe, just maybe today's the day. I'd invite you while we stand and sing, come, here, come up here and just kneel and pray and invite God to do what he wants to do. Let's stand and come to the altar when you're Hey everyone, thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.